Welcome to the CultureWise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks. For more information about this podcast, check out our pilot episode titled, What Is This Podcast About? My name is Daniel Shugart, and I am joined today by Ross Anderson and Greg Johnson. Greg is the director, alongside his wife, of Standing Together, a local ministry here in Utah that he has been the director of since 2001, uh, and he's also been living in Utah, participating in ministry in churches since 1992. Greg, what are, what are some things that you've observed over the time that you've been here and really active in ministry? What are some trends that you have seen? Well, I, I think I could, you know, Ross and I go back 30 years when I first came to Utah to serve at Washington Heights Church in 1992, and I think it's almost a different world back mm-hmm, then, totally. if you go 30, back, yeah. 30 years back. I remember some of the first experiences I had with our, our church members that I was just getting to know, particularly the older folks and some of the seniors that would, would just speak of the dark days of hmm. children, LDS children not being allowed to play with evangelical children, yeah. being super isolated in culture and in the community. Uh, it was kind of, if you're not one of us, we'll give you a little bit of time to think about it and consider joining us, and if not, it's time to move on. Hmm. And there really was a, a bitterness that I experienced, saw, and felt, and heard from these folks because they were hurt that their children were treated badly, yeah. you know, for their years uh, of, of living there in Utah, but which usually they were usually here not because they wanted to be, but because they were working here, yeah. and they got a job at Hill Air Force Base or something mm-hmm. like that. And so I would say, and I think it's very significant, I think it's 2008 that... Uh, M. Russell Ballard, who is currently the president of the Quorum of the Twelve, gave a talk on loving my neighbor at General Conference, and I'm absolutely convinced, in fact, I've asked him, you know, was this for all the LDS people of the world, <laughs> or was this more for the Utah LDS people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure yeah. it was for the LDS people, because during that time, he really challenged LDS people in Utah in early 2000s to not uh, ostracize, to not... Uh, disconnect to not let their not let their children not play with other you know oh, other sure. uh, mm-hmm. evangelical kids be friendly um, I know that he it was that that talk you'll probably remember it too Ross where he said we've got to stop calling people non-mormons at the time. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah. I'm not a non-Catholic, I'm not a non-Baptist, and it would be weird for you to refer to me as a non-Baptist. But people want to be referred to as what they are, not what they're not, right. and we're not the standard. So he said it's important to say people of other faith or yeah. you know, individuals of other faith, and uh, and so that language has, I think, kind of gotten more mm-hmm. common, and obviously the LDS Church is no longer using the term Mormon, so it's even less used. But uh, And then the last thing he said is, if I hear this from anybody, I'll come and call you directly. I think he said something like that, uh, that if you say, if you don't like it here, you can just move, because we were hmm, the sure. persecuted people that went from one city to another city. So I think the last 30 years um, has really softened the edges. I think many Latter-day Saints and many evangelicals can find a a friendly conversation in neighborhoods, at the workspace, um, in community service. Uh, I just think it's a a whole new world in the sense that it was very Mm us-them back, you know, 30 years Mm -hmm. ago. Today, there's a growing desire on the part of the LDS Church, obviously, to be perceived not as a cult or a weird religion, and they've made a lot of effort to do that over the last 30 years, and I think at the at the relational level, at the community level, at the neighborhood level, at the family level, uh, that's really been um, 
I think, accomplished in a, in a significant way, and I think it's been a very positive thing. I, I think LDS friends that I talk to are super glad that they're not mm-hmm. intimidated or, or encouraged to, to, to not be friendly. Uh, they feel like, yeah, we, we know that we need to be friendly, and, and so it's, it's a much more healthy place, I think, for evangelicals and people of other faiths to, to, to live and to interact with their neighbors with. Yeah, we often see relationship is the key. We we really want to have good, solid relationship with Latter-day Saints in which then a gospel conversation can happen. There can be mutual trust, mutual respect for each other. But ultimately, we want to point people to Jesus, the true biblical Jesus, and invite them to experience fullness of life. What are what are some factors that in, in recent years have helped provide fertile ground for some of those conversations? Well, I think there's... Um... Uh, a plethora of things. I think, you know, thankfully God is not restricted to our creativity. Uh, I think he's moving beyond just individual strategies or personal passions or whatever. Yeah. But there are a number of things that I think are encouraging. Um, I've been involved in a movement that kind of is referred to as the LDS uh, Evangelical Dialogue Effort. So over the last 20 years, we've worked with college students coming to Utah um, during their spring break from Biola, Westmont, Azusa Pacific, uh, Mobile Christian, uh, Alabama, and some other places along the way who come for a week. Uh, and because of our relationship with the LDS Church, we've been able to establish connections at the institutes and at BYU uh, where we go on campus and we have these multiple hour dialogues with students. Uh, so we have, you know, maybe six LDS students, six evangelical students at the Orem Institute, the Ogden Institute, the Logan Institute. We have a very cooperative relationship with um, with the institute director and, and a faculty member that kind of is designated to work with me uh, in that context, and we have just been blown away by the response of, you know, you know, you, you might have maybe 20 evangelicals and 20 Latter-day Saints, that's only 40 people, mm-hmm. but if you do that for 20 years and you do it six times or seven times a, a year, uh, four or five, six or times, whatever, uh, you know, you think about 20 years and the numbers go up. And uh, I know that Richard Bennett, who's a BYU retired history professor, has for many, many years hosted us on Monday nights for what is called Mon- Monday night family home evening at the Bennett's. And so he brings <laughs> yeah. students down from BYU and we come and we have dinner and we meet. And uh, he, he, being a good Latter-day Saint historian, has kept good records. <laughs> and he relayed to me right before we went on a mission, uh, a senior mission, that he uh, knew uh, that for a fact that there had been over a thousand students in his home over the course wow. of a, like a five-year period. Wow. So, or maybe 10-year period, I don't know. But anyways, yeah, so I think that has been really helpful. I personally have been involved in an academic dialogue. It has slowed down. It has actually technically stopped, uh, but it involved a lot of key people, evangelical, Latter-day Saints, uh, academically from various institutions. That was, I think, an interesting conversation that took place my participation was from May of 2000 to May of 2014, and so that was interesting. And then more recently, there's been uh, a, some interesting conversations taking place with uh, general authorities of the LDS Church and evangelical leaders. Um, we we brought the NAE conference or the board members here in 2011. I know that George Wood, who is the past president of the, uh, I guess they call him general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, he got close with a senior general authority apostle, uh, and George just passed away, and it was very trip, very positive tribute that I heard from this general authority who said, I, I really loved George with all my heart, and hmm. I considered him like a brother. So it was a big loss. Of course, um, Rabbi Zacharias, prior to his death, and uh, subsequent accusations and, you know, things that have been said, and 
discovered. Um, he was very involved in our dialogue effort, spoke twice at the Tabernacle in 04 and 014, and so he got to know general authorities, uh, at least two pretty well, two apostles. And then uh, Leith Anderson has been involved in those conversations. Rich Mao has been involved in those conversations. Uh, Nick Vujicic has been involved in a number of relationship opportunities. So, so, so I think that dialogue has fostered a kind of growing acceptance, uh, growing normalcy, yeah, um, yeah. that it's okay. So that's just one piece, though, because I, I have another couple ideas, too. That's great. <laughs> yeah, well, you're you're wearing a shirt from The Chosen, right? Uh, uh, and we were talking about that a little bit ago. Tell me, what, what yeah. have... What opportunities has The Chosen presented? Yeah, thank you. I, I just was uh, uh, on the set of The Chosen when they were filming here in Utah for season three. A friend of mine, Brad Pello, is the president of The Chosen Corporation or whatever, the business side of it. And uh, he's an LDS guy, and he invited me to do that, and Jill and a few others went. And we, we met these three LDS women who were also on this little special visit. And uh, I started having a conversation with her, uh, and I, I can say that um, literally over the last year or two, because I was actually introduced to The Chosen by an LDS uh, Institute uh, mm. director yeah. uh, who told me about it. I said, oh, yeah, I don't know anything about it. So I right. started watching it, and uh, more and more I have conversations with people who say, oh, I love that Chosen Jesus, LDS people. They, they kind of call him the Chosen Jesus. Hmm. <laughs> so as, as opposed to some other concept of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to their, do you think, Greg, as opposed to their kind of concept of Nordic Jesus that's in their building, or their or their idea of what ev- evangelicals are presenting, you know, you that's a great question, Ross. And I think it's not, you know, it's not. We're, probably none of us are able to exactly answer that question. It, th- but there's a generic sense of something different mm. from the regular LDS experience of talking about and thinking about and reflecting upon Jesus, because there's been so much of this language. I've heard another person describe themselves as, I now have a Jesus 2.0, like a new Jesus. Uh Uh, A friend of mine, uh, we just had lunch, and so this is like a third example that I'm just off the top of my head just saying is, he literally sat with me across the table, Jill was there too, and he said, I hope you don't think this is silly, but I want to tell you something. I said, what? He said, I'm a born-again Mormon. He called himself a born-again yeah, Mormon, not yeah. a born-again LDS guy. So if you're upset about that listening, please don't that, email. That's his. That's what he said. <laughs> that's his terminology. You, on our podcast, we, we get a lot of people get upset if we ever use the word Mormon, and we right. say, we understand there's been a little emphasis change there. But anyways, so this guy said, I'm a born-again Mormon. And I said, Brad, I said... Uh, that is way cool. I said, why, why are you calling yourself a born-again Mormon? He says, you know, I've read the story of Nicodemus many times in the Scripture, but when I saw it in The Chosen, when I saw Nicodemus and Jesus talking on that rooftop and that powerful scene, I was weeping. And Jesus tells him, you've got to be born again. And I thought to myself, I don't use that phrase of myself. I don't, yeah. I don't think of that as an LDS person. But if Jesus told Nicodemus he had to born, be born again, then, then I have to be born again. <laughs> and, and I need to be okay with that and comfortable with that. And, and I said only this. I said, Brad, that's awesome. I, I, love, I love that you want to see yourself in that context. I said, but I, can I ask you a, just a question? You don't have to answer it. I said, you are obviously making a contrast to something before, either the way you saw Jesus, the way you looked at Jesus, the way you understood Jesus. There's some kind of, I saw it this way before, now I see it this way. You're, you're contrasting something. I think that is an interesting question for you to ponder. You know? And he goes, yeah, I think you're right. You know? So I, I, I think those subtle and, and free, in fact, uh, jumping back to the three LDS women that we met on the set, um, 
this one particular woman who lived not far from where we live uh, started to talk about how much she just loved The Chosen and how she supports it, and and uh, it's like nothing she's ever experienced, and Jesus is so real to her now. And, and so I said, you know, isn't it interesting? Um, and I said, because you're probably aware that many evangelicals will not consider Mormonism to be a Christian faith, a historically Christian doctrine. Oh, yeah, I know that. And I said, have you ever been told, for example, that you don't worship the right Jesus, or you don't believe in the right Jesus, or you don't have the right Jesus, or your Jesus doesn't exist? And all three of the LDS women women said, yes, you know, we've all been offended by that. And I said, you know, I I get that. You're offended because you, you believe that you believe in Jesus. And I'm pretty convinced that most LDS people when they think of Jesus, they are thinking of a historical figure that is presented to us in the four Gospels. And so they're not thinking of some guy that was born in 1936 who was named Jesus, who was a mechanic at a Michigan (laughs) car dealership. You know, they're thinking about the same historical figure that I'm thinking about, but our theology is different. And so I said, don't you think that if we were able to say something like, hmm, I, I think it's fascinating that we both recognize Jesus as the Son of God, your language, our language, uh, but we do believe some different things about it, and let's have a conversation about that. And I said, is that, is that offensive to you, or is that something that you could receive as a, as a Latter-day Saint person? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, so yeah. you know, I think it's just sensitivity to things like that. And then I, I did follow up the last converse, part of the conversation was, um, so... Um, as you kind of explore this, it, it seems like The Chosen is a new safe place for you to talk with someone like me where you're hmm. not nervous and you don't feel like it's a religious argument or a back and forth, your point, my point, your point, my point. But now we're talking about something that we both appreciate, we both seem to value, we both seem to enjoy. You've, you've been affected by it, I've been affected by it. And then it allows us to go further and have a theological conversation. And I said, so that's really cool. And then uh, I introduced her to my wife, and they have actually gotten together already. And uh, uh, she has written some really amazing texts to Jill that have been very, very uh, touching and I think very significant uh, in yeah. terms of what The Chosen is doing. So The Chosen is a big thing, you know, I think that, yeah. that is creating some really interesting dynamics between well, Latter-day Saints and What's interesting, I've always felt like being in Utah for as long as I have, that the historical Jesus is the biggest area of common ground. Now, because we, now we're going to really, like you said, there's other aspects theologically about how we consider Jesus. The Jesus before his birth and Jesus after his ascension and resurrection, we're going to disagree considerably right. on is Jesus, you know, eternally God or is he the the firstborn spirit child of, of Elohim or whatever. We're going to disagree significantly on that. But there's this huge common ground, largely because the LDS view of the, of, of the historical Jesus is rooted in the four Gospels, that we have this same text that we're operating from. Now, there is, we know that there's certain things in the Book of Mormon that portray Jesus a certain way in his visit to, to the Nephites, um, that might be somewhat different from how he's depicted in the Bible. But by and large, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the 90, 90% of their view of Jesus between his birth and his resurrection is based on the four Gospels. Mm-hmm. And so that creates, I think, I've always felt like creates huge common ground yeah. that yeah. We, can, we can talk about that Jesus from that point of view. And the irony is, and I totally agree with you a thousand percent, the irony is, is that we have tended to miss that opportunity because of this need to say 
to our LDS friends, you don't worship the right Jesus. You, you don't have the right Jesus. You don't believe in the right Jesus. Right. And so it's like we're going to blow up the common ground that we do have that could lead to a very significant conversation if we could just say, like I remember I was in a dialogue with Bob Millett, and, and somebody was so upset at the nature of our friendly interaction that he got up, it was in Southern California, and he said, well, I just want you to know you don't worship the, the same Jesus, you don't have the same God, and you're, you're going to hell, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and I actually answered for Bob. I said, Bob, you don't need to answer that. I said, can I just say something? I said, you know, when you say that, I almost feel the anger coming out of you. Like somehow mm-hmm. you want to make sure that Bob Millett knows he's a false Christian, he's not a Christian, he's going to hell, and that you're happy about it. I said, I really I really think that you could have a conversation with Bob or any LDS friend that you want if you just kind of rephrase your question. Uh, is, it, is it not true that an LDS person does think that when they think about Jesus, they're thinking about a little baby born in Bethlehem, and a, even though the Book of Mormon says Jerusalem, you know, uh, aren't they thinking Bethlehem? Aren't they thinking cross? Aren't they thinking garden? Aren't they thinking four, to, four gospels? And he conceded my point very easily in that uh, he goes, yeah, I guess, you know, and I said, well, so now you can say, I know you guys believe in the historical figure called Jesus, but what is your theology about him? And that's a whole legitimate conversation. And so we've we felt that that conversation and that point has been made, and I think more and more, and if there's anything exemplifies it, again, it is the chosen. The chosen is giving us this presentation of a historical, biblical Jesus in a personal, three-dimensional, mm-hmm. relational kind of way that, that yeah, we... I mean, Dallas Jenkins, the creator of The Chosen, has taken a lot of flack for, you know, adding things to the story. But, I mean, if we watch a historical biography of Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or Thomas Edison, we we know that that script is not 100% what Thomas Edison said every day of his life, because they have to create narrative. Mm-hmm. They, know the, they know the features, they know the big story, but they got to add in things, conversations between him and his wife or whatever. And so that's just what uh, I think that's what Dallas has brought that's been so creative about The Chosen, is a, a story that's plausible. And, and Dallas right. always says, if it's right. not plausible, we wouldn't do it. But if it's plausible, if it's believable, if it's consistent with who Jesus is, we will add that narrative. But but when it comes to the biblical events, we stay 100% on those. Mm-hmm. So what are some lessons that you've learned personally as you've used The Chosen as a springboard into some of these gospel conversations with Latter-day Saints? Yeah, I, I, more of the same of what I was just saying, because like, I remember I was leading a, a Utah County pastor's meeting probably about a year and a half ago. It was, it was pre-COVID. And uh, so I was down in the heart of you know Utah County, I think Spanish Fork area, and we went to a restaurant. About five of us went to a restaurant afterwards, and I saw these two ladies both with uh, you know, chosen swag or t-shirts on, you know, and I said, hey, are you ladies into the chosen? And they were just like over the moon with it, you know, oh, we love it, we love it, we love it. And I said, uh, now, can I ask you a question? Are you LDS? I assume so, because we were in the deep part of (laughs) Utah County. (laughs) And they go, yes. And I said, well, these are, myself and these people are evangelical pastors, and we're just having lunch here, but it's just so amazing that you're enjoying The Chosen, because it seems like evangelicals and Catholics and a lot of people, even people that are not very religious, seem to enjoy the story and have, have tuned in. And, uh, it, and she just totally agreed with me, and, and it was like we were friends. We weren't, we weren't evangelical versus Latter-day Saint person. It was, oh, two friends because we both like The Chosen. And Mm -hmm. so I think that is an example of the entry. And I've actually had the chance to ask Dallas Jenkins, who's the creator of The Chosen, 
did you have any idea <laughs> that somehow <laughs> when you started this that it was going to have this great appeal to a broader audience? Was it your intentions to get Catholics talking to evangelicals and Latter Saints talking to evangelicals and evangelicals talking to whoever or secular people? And he goes, you know, I mean, I definitely wanted God to get the glory. I did. Yeah. I definitely wanted to tell the story of Jesus in a compelling way. I wanted people to watch it for sure. But I know I never thought I want LDS people to watch it. You know, I want Catholic people to watch it. I just thought I want people to watch it. Sure. And so I don't think this was planned. You know, not even from where it was created, other than maybe that God had a plan. You mm-hmm. know, to use something like that. And I think it's 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 kind of consistent with my journey in the Lord as a pastor, ministry leader for the last thirty years. Is that just when you think ah, this isn't working, this nothing's happening, nothing's going forward. Then out of the blue, something happens. You go, I wasn't even thinking about that, God. Thanks for that yeah, cool idea, right. you know, or that yeah. that neat initiative that a local church did, or that an outreach did, or something. And um, you just kind of, you just kind of have to keep showing up every day, just trusting the Lord. Uh, some days are slow and boring, and you don't feel like they they counted for much. And then other days, you just run into a person, have this incredible conversation, and you go, Wow, that was almost ordained. You know, it was almost like yeah. a divine uh, appointment that God just set up for me. How, how have you reckoned in, in your own mind some of the potential objections that people commonly bring up in this type of a conversation? Yeah. No, I, I think sometimes there is a fear that relational evangelism, which I think we both, all three of us, understand that relationship is at the heart of sharing anything. Uh, and and when you're, when you're uh, if you're just you know the typical used car salesman, people are not going to believe what you have to say. They just know you want to sell a car. <laughs> right, right. But if you're a friend, a long-term friend, or someone that you've built a relationship with, you, you take more seriously their beliefs, their understanding of things, and you're willing to listen and give feedback and go back and forth. So I just think that without relationship, there is no influence, or there's very little influence. I mean, you can be on an airplane and talk to somebody and you know, 30 minutes later, they're crying and saying, I want to give my heart to Jesus, yeah, yeah. you know, but I haven't found that to be terribly common in right. my travels, and I, I travel a bit. Um, or you can have a random conversation with somebody at at an, at an event or something, and, and maybe there, there too, they have this quick response. But I think much more so the advance or the journey going forward, plus um, not only just the journey, but the spiritual insight. I, I actually have a relationship with a young man Right now, and, and uh, he was uh, walking home from his LDS church service, and I was visiting, I was at an evangelical church, and uh, he, he just literally, literally felt compelled to come inside. He, he said that he lived in the neighborhood for a long time, he saw the church, was just curious about it, and he walked in with his white shirt and tie, and, and uh, the usher, whoever, the greeter, thought, this probably this guy might be LDS, and he, right. so he greeted him, and he interacted with him a little bit, and, and found out that he was, and that was first time in his whole life that he ever attended a, a non-LDS church, and, and it was because he was in the neighborhood, and so the greeter said, hey, Greg, uh, we've got a guest today. You might want to say hi to him, and so I went over and greeted him, and we just got connected a little bit. We've been interacting for probably about six, eight months now, and uh, he had he's come probably to the, to the church maybe uh, four times, I think, at this point, and... Hmm. Uh, um, he has, uh, you know, just shared with me very honestly that um, he's been studying for a while, and that that decision to step into an evangelical church, which was a little bit scary for him, um, was was nerve wracking. But he said, I I had a very close mission companion on my LDS church who 
surprised me and told me that he had rejected God and doesn't believe in the LDS faith anymore, and I wanted to help him return to the faith, So, hmm. uh, and I wanted to examine what he was seeing that was causing him to doubt. So I asked him what he was reading, and I started reading it, and over a year and a half, these questions came, and for me, um, I don't want to give up on God, even if I choose to leave the LDS faith. I, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. So that relationship thing, it's very patient, it's long-term, it's not pushed, it's not shoved, it's not uh, forced uh, in any way, and, and yet sometimes people think, well, then you're not urgent enough, you're not, you're not, sure, you're not sure. trying hard enough, you need to push towards that. And I, I've just come to a place where I think as a Christian, uh, you know, seeking the Scripture, I, I think that, uh, you know, Paul on Mars Hill, you know, he preaches a dramatic message, a, a, an offensive message, you know, that, that temple on that hill that's the world's famous temple up there, the Acropolis, uh, God doesn't even need those temples. He doesn't dwell in human temples anymore. He dwells in the hearts of human beings. So, I mean, I know he said something provocative, but it said that most thought he was a nut. Some said, come back again someday. <laughs> right. And just a few followed, maybe two, two or three that said, hey, I'd like to, like to know more about your view of God. So be patient relational evangelism is patient evangelism. If you fear relational evangelism, if you're concerned that it's not bold enough or it's not contending for the faith once delivered to the saints, um, you, you might just examine whether or not you and your particular relationships are are having good conversations. Maybe you're having lots of conversations, but maybe they don't go very long. You know, maybe they're 10, 15, 20 minutes and the other person walks away. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that those who are very concerned about kind of a dialogue approach, a conversational approach, a slow approach. Um, maybe it's just not their personality, and that's fine, uh, uh, but I don't think it, it, it has, it's, I don't think it's fair or right or legitimate to say that, therefore, because it's patient and slow and relational and, and kind of uh, goes the distance, that it's not substantive or that it's not effective or that it's not um, long-term the way God might work in somebody's life. So I, I just have, you know, for those that are more involved in apologetic, you know, conversations on the internet or in personal conversations or go door to door or, you know, tracked at a temple or something. More power to them, I say, you know, but that's not who I am and, and that's not who a lot of just average folks are. You know, right. they're not going to do that. So I, right. I want to provide a model where they can just build relationships and be intentional in having conversations about truth. And so, like I said, even with Jesus, hey, you know, we both believe in the historical Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus sometime. Let's go out to dinner. Let's go to lunch. Let's read a book. Let's do this. There's, there's, I mean, it's not hard to do that today. It was 30 years ago. Yeah. Well, the way it was, but the, the thing I've noticed over the years, Greg, about LDS, cult, LDS culture, LDS people want to talk about their yes, faith, their yes. beliefs. Yes. But, the, but, they don't, but they're also hesitant about whether or not they're going to be slammed by, mm-hmm. by uh, evangelicals. So, you know, if I, if I come into the relationship and it... it and I'm open and listening, and I adopt the posture of a learner because yeah. I don't know what they believe until they tell me. Right. And so, if I ad- adopt a learning posture, I don't have any problem having a faith conversation. They're going to want me to know about their beliefs and their faith, and and that opens the door for me to reciprocate. Yeah, I- I'm absolutely f- agreed. I mean, again, the context, you know, the context of these kinds of interactions are as normal as you know you you see somebody in a supermarket and you say, uh, uh, you know, hi, uh, can I, <laughs> I mean, you just have random conversations, just, right. just interact with human beings. And then as you're being intentional and as you have an opportunity to say, uh, you know, 
not a random stranger that you're never going to see again, but you know, maybe somebody at work, whatever. Hey, you know, I'm I'm really interested in 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 your faith, or you know, I'm intrigued by your faith, or I'm curious about your faith, or um, you know, would you would you ever be w- willing to have a conversation about it? Um, I have not met many who are not willing, ready, and able to uh, want to do that. But I think you, you and I have an old friend named Jeff Hummel. When he was planning his church here, um, he hosted one of our student dialogue programs up in North Ogden. And I know that the stake president, who he knew, uh, assigned a, a, a bishop from an LDS singles ward to partner with us in a conversation. Hmm. And this was years ago. Um, but it was so fascinating because Jeff said, there's a real hiccup going on. I said, why? And he said, because the bishop doesn't want to do it. I said, why? And he says, well, I guess he had a, he was on a mission in the South, like North Carolina or something, and he was just destroyed by evangelicals. He was just attacked, you know, and he was an older man, so his memory was going back several, maybe decades. And I, and I said, well, what's going to happen? He said, the stake president told me he had to do it, you know. So I said, okay, well, let's, Let's just be really gentle with the guy, you know. So literally, we had this very nice introduction at the e- beginning of the evening, the students' dialogue, they interacted um, at the very end of the night, and I'll never forget this. And I just, I don't think this is brilliance on anybody's part. This is just the tenderness and mercy of God. He came over to me, and he was weeping. And I said, what's wrong? And he says, I just want you to know, for maybe 20 years, I've hated evangelicals because of the experience I had on my mission. They were so rude. They were so unkind to me. They made fun of me. They tried to run me off the road on my bike. I had all kinds of terrible experiences in the South. And I thought for sure this was what this night was going to be about, that you were just going to come in here and tell us how we're a cult and how we're a false religion and we're not true and we worship Joseph Smith. And he said, but this has been so amazing. He said, you've restored my my feelings and, and I feel like I can let it go and be forgiving. So that's just one example again. Right. But I think that speaks to the the human reality that, a, you know, the Scripture says in Proverbs, Proverbs 16, that a, a brother or a I think you say a person, a person offended is harder to be one than a strong city, you know, because once they put their guard up because they think you're a, a mean, nasty person, they're ready to, you know, dismiss you and, and not listen to yeah. much more that you have to say. Yeah, for sure. Now, I'm curious, this is a great conversation about the chosen and related ideas. Daniel, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it back to you because you guys, you and your wife have been intentional about using the chosen as an opportunity to create some of these dialogues, and I'd like to hear how you would chime in from your experience uh, compared to what Greg's been sharing with us. Yeah, certainly. I've, I've never been on the set, never spoken with the director of The Chosen, uh, but with just an, an, a neighborhood family that my wife and I live near, we've had the chance to get together with them. And um, for different seasons of time, we week after week after week would watch an episode or two with them. And it was, it was fun just on the level of experiencing it personally. But then so much good conversation was able to come out of it on the backside of watching the episode. We had many opportunities to ask really simple questions. What did you think? Yeah. Or what did you what did you think about the way that they portrayed this? Or, you know, recognizing like like with the 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 scene of Nicodemus at night, Nick at night, um, <laughs> there there was this little image very briefly where um, Two of two of the disciples were listening, kind of off in a distance, yes, and, and yes. quickly r- scribbling down notes. Yeah. Oh wow, this is good stuff, Jesus! Yeah. Wow, that's cool. But in the in the in the concept, Jesus or Nicodemus weren't aware that they were there. Right. Um, right. And and so we we had a little brief conversation about, oh, maybe that's one way that we could trust the biblical record because it yeah. it wasn't just that 
oh, how did Jesus, or how, how did anyone know that Jesus and Nicodemus had this private conversation? It was private after all. Who wrote it down? Who It could be falsified. So, but just, it's it's plausible, right, right? Right, And so we had a good conversation of, well, it's it's plausible that some of these ways we can have confidence in in the biblical record of things that were maybe more private. Yeah. And I'll just tell you, that has been a very big thing for Dallas Jenkins to try to insert... Um, ways in which the plausibility of the New Testament record being historical and being accurate. As season two begins with John talking to one disciple after another, uh, he's talking like, well, why are you wanting to get all this information? Well, like, we've got to record it so that people can read about Jesus, you know, in his post-resurrection, and, and uh, he's talking. He goes, well, what about Matthew? And he goes, oh, Matthew, he's the detailed guy. He'll, he'll cover that in his book, you know. <laughs> right, it's just right. Like, like, you could just kind of hear you know, the development, or, you know, we we need not think of these men as monastic people writing it with a scroll, you know, thus saith the Lord in King James English. They were fishermen, they were tax collectors, they were regular dudes, and they probably took notes and then referred to those notes and talked amongst each other, and those stories were orally shared and became very strong. So I, I think that's a great example of the kind of conversation on something that we have struggled with as Latter-day Saints and Evangelicals, like the reliability of historic Scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this idea that many times they, they feel the Scripture is true as long as it's translated corrected, but the Book of Mormon is true without regards to that, yeah. you know, so that's one of the articles of faith, and you can have a conversation about that. Right. Something I've heard Ross say frequently, and he just said it a minute ago, is, I don't know what anyone believes until they tell me. Right. And and that this was so true of this one family that we've been watching with. Um, we would have assumed certain beliefs about them, but it was because yeah. of these conversations we had after watching The Chosen that we discovered they have some non-conventional beliefs about Jesus um, that I, I would not have expected they had. And, th- and they actually reflect a little bit more of what I believe about Jesus than what I would have expected right. they might believe. And, and I wouldn't have known that yeah. unless yeah. unless there was a space to have a simple conversation. Nothing flat just just a simple conversation. And it wasn't like you just walked over to a stranger's house and said, hey, would you like to come over to our house and watch The Chosen? You already had a relationship to some degree, probably, where yeah. you were at least interacting and being friendly, and then this was not like a scary thing to come into a stranger's house, you know? Right, we were tossing discs at a <laughs> disc golf course when our neighbor invited us there you go. There <laughs> to you watch go. it with them. Oh, and so he was the one that initiated it. It was you. his initiation, really? yeah. Even better. Yeah. You know? So uh, with with The Chosen, a, a, a closely connected thing uh, is, is music, yeah. because at the... Um, at the Christmas special, music was a highlight yes. with the chosen, yeah. uh, and and I know you and I have talked a little bit about how how music has also really opened the door for gospel conversations with Latter Day Saints. How how have you seen that recently? Well, you know, pastorally speaking, uh, Christian bands and and well known uh, music teams always seem to kind of skip Utah. They'd go right from Boise into Denver. It's hard to make money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if they did come, it was like on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night. It was in between travel. It was never on a prime night, you know, like yeah. a Friday or Saturday. Uh, but more and more, you're finding the Chris Tomlins, the Amy Grants, uh, the Casting Crowns, the um, uh, all of them, you know, they're, they're coming to Utah because there's a growing market here. Mm-hmm. And so we... I was telling you guys earlier that um, we were we've been involved in sponsoring a lot of these things over the years, and so every once in a while we get some fun tickets to sit up close. And we were literally sitting next to a couple that was just so into the music, was casting crowns, and I mean they were waving their hands like you know a charismatic evangelical might in a worship yeah. service, and they were um, 
they were they just knew every lyric of every song it wasn't not just some of them but everyone and they were just they never sat down they stood up they worshiped they were talking they were excited and i at an intermission i looked over at them and i said man you guys really love the casting crowd. She, no 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 we love all christian music we go to every concert i go wow every concert you know how, how do you pull that off she said well we just make it a priority because we just love contemporary christian music and i was just taken aback by their enthusiasm so i just assumed they probably attended an evangelical church. And and I just said, so what church you guys go to? And she said, well, we, we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, we don't enjoy this kind of music in our church, but, you know, that's why we love it so much. Hmm. And I just thought, you know, that that again is creating a common ground, a safe yeah. space, that, that if this music is really not secular or bad just because it has drums and electric guitars, but it has contemporary qualities and, and people like contemporary things, you know, I think our LDS friends often talk about sacred music, you know, and and in their LDS services they'll have sacred music or right, which means reverent, which means reverent, <laughs> which means slow <laughs> and quiet, paced, slow paced, quiet music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so when when they get to hear this and they kind of can get over the context of the of the instruments and things like that, uh, I think a lot of Latter-day Saints could become very uncomfortable in the past when they go to an evangelical church and see a praise band up there. Hmm. Even if it's mild, you know, just even a drum set up there is like, what? You can only have an organ. But more and more and more over the decades, I think K-Love and Air One has gotten out there. And so I was talking with the gentleman who's my friend, uh, Brad, who's very involved with The Chosen and, and was responsible for both of the Christmas programs, happens to be an LDS person. And he went to Dallas and said, hey, during the off-season, when we're not filming, what do you think about this? And Dallas kind of just said, run with it, you know? And so Brad has, uh, has had a career in media, and so he's quite capable. And um, he said that when he and his wife were living in New York, he found out about the K-Love Fan Awards that happened yeah, in Nashville yeah. each year. And so he took his... He is like... 12 kids. I mean, you know, he took as many as it wanted to go. They went down to Nashville. They, I think he said, I've gone four times, and we just stand there, and we worship with our hands lifted up. We just love it. And I said, are you kidding me, Brad? That's amazing, because he's not a young guy. He's in his 60s, you know? I'm like, that's kind of outside the norm. And he goes, yeah, in fact, one time I was there, and I got a phone call from a guy in my ward back in Utah, and uh, and he said, hey, Brad, are, are you in Nashville by chance? And he says, yeah. How did you know? And he says, well, I'm sitting four rows behind you. No so, way. So they laughed that <laughs> two members of the CMLDS ward in Utah were in Nashville listening to these K-Love Fan Awards. And then to think how much that music has affected him to want to do these Christmas specials and, uh, and get top quality music down to the Goshen set that the LDS Church owns and he's able to use it to film. And, yeah. I mean, last year's Christmas program was amazing. I mean... It was the content again was Christian music, and and the monologues that were shared were one hundred percent solid. Um, everybody enjoyed them immensely. Um, we took a lot of friends to that. It was supposed to only be available December first and second nationwide in a theater. That was a mm -hmm. new thing. But they broke every record that private screenings have ever um, achieved. So they extended it to the tenth of December. So in theaters across America, between January 1st, I mean, December 1st and December 10th, you could watch it at a theater only. But then after that, Dallas, true to his word, said, we're going to put it on YouTube and you can watch it all over the world for free. Yeah, yeah. And they thought that maybe some people said, well, I'm not going to go to theater when I can watch it later. I just, you know, closer to Christmas anyways. But they broke every record, not only nationwide for the, for the private screening, but the chosen Christmas special in Utah broke every other state record. 
uh, attendance records. You know, so Utah was, you could actually watch the Chosen Christmas special up till Christmas Eve of last year at a theater, even though it was totally free, but people want to see it on a big screen and hear the great sound. And uh, it was absolutely amazing. And Brad is so passionate about that. And he is bringing, I think he's making Air One, Caleb, contemporary Christian music, much more known to the LDS community, much more appreciated, much more valued. I'll just tell you one last quick example of it. I, I know an LDS Institute professor down in Orem whose daughters are, are very gifted singers, and, and I was very surprised to hear them sing uh, Ann Wilson's song, Let Me Tell You About My Jesus, on a little recording that he did. Hmm. And not only were they singing it with great enthusiasm, they were dancing and clapping and, again, lifting their hands. It was just out of the norm. I actually showed it to my daughter, who's 16, and I said, hey, America, what... That is her name, America. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hello, America. Well, hello, America. My daughter is not the United States of America. <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, I said, hey, what do, you, what do you think of these singers, you know, and tell me what you think. And, and she listened to them, and she goes, they're really good. And I said, well, what church do you think they go to? And she says, well... You, they probably go to some youth group that you want me to attend. And I said, not necessarily. Uh, you know, so, so we ended up, I tell her they're LDS girls and that they have this real passion and love for this music. And she's like, that is, that's wild. That's wild. Yeah. So I do think, you know, we've talked about The Chosen quite a bit. We talk about just kind of the general flow of dialogue that's been happening over the last 30 years and, and maybe that contribution and, and uh, certain people. Uh, there's other things, I think, that are also taking place right now. I just think it's... Uh, it's a it's a season um, that is open, and you know um, it's interesting. I've done some mission work overseas throughout my life, and one place that I did mission work uh, to share the gospel with people was in Israel, and it was kind of scary oh, yeah. because it's not, yeah. you know, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> but I was there as a college student, and uh, and they said to me, you won't have a problem having a conversation with any of the Jewish people. Religion is a part of their life. They're not going to go, oh, I don't want to talk about religion, even the secular Jewish people. And so uh-huh. it was one thing after another. It was amazing. You could just say, hey, what do you believe about, you know, something like that, or make a comment about the Old Testament or the Tanakh or something, the Hebrew word for the Old Testament. And uh, you just have a conversation with anybody. I mean, any place, any, and it was like the easiest place. And I said, boy, it's just not like that in America. But I think it to your point, Ross, earlier, I think today it's not hard to have a conversation, get some, get a conversation started. And it can be, um, you know, you say, well, I, I, and, I and I have no problem saying this. Uh, my, my very good friend, Robert Millett, uh, and I have been involved in a dialogue and wrote a book together. And um, he and I were once sitting outside my church when I was pastoring in Orem. And uh, I remember just saying, Bob, I'd like to continue our friendship, but I, I know we've talked through the gamut of theology. And I don't know if you just want to not talk about theology and get together for lunch every once in a while, or if you don't mind continuing the conversation. And so from that day forward, we, we built a relationship over about three years before anything de- developed there. And one of Bob's comments was, why don't we defer to God? Why don't hmm. we say that you're my friend and I'm your friend, and I know you would like me to become an evangelical Christian and you know that I would like to baptize you into the Mormon church again, because I was raised in the LDS church for a period of time. And uh, so I said, fair enough. You know, uh, I have an agenda for you, and you have an agenda for me, but let's kind of set that aside and let God's agenda be be the primary agenda for our friendship and our relationship. And, you know, uh, so I've seen, I've seen that kind of change of perspective. Right. So how, how can the 
everyday person who's a follower of Jesus, uh, how can they get involved and use some of these highways um, to to communicate the gospel with their Latter-day Saint friends and neighbors and such? Well, I, I know that the saying has been given many times, the idea that I want to introduce my friend to God in prayer before I introduce my friend to God. Is that how it goes? I introduce my friend to God before... Before I introduce God to my friend. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. And so I, I, I think it always, I've always said it begins with prayer. Um, if you're new to Utah and, and just living here, which is a unique culture, if you're living in rural Utah, if you're living in Utah County or in a very dense uh, LDS population, you're going to have a different experience than if you're living in Salt Lake right now, because, you know, or Park City. Um, right. But being, being in the context of your community, your neighborhood, your workplace, whatever, just Pray that God would give you a heart, a love, a respect, a kindness, uh, and uh, just the opportunity, really, even to have relationship. I, I th- sometimes think we're, we Christians are really good at saying, well, you know, God's in charge of the results, and we have to trust God for the results, and we kind of take the burden off of ourselves to, to seal the deal or, or make the big thing happen or, or see somebody come to know Jesus. But I think God is not just in charge of the results. He's actually in charge... Uh, of the opportunities and yeah. and the process, yeah, and so he leads point. he leads us, he guides us. We might walk into a a place and and find ourselves talking to somebody that begins a lifelong friendship. You know, you never know. Hmm. And if you're open and you're praying and you're looking for that opportunity to be a friend and and cultivate just a, a relationship with somebody who's out of a different faith, and we have had lots and lots of unique opportunities and encouraged others to do the same, so that you know as you as you pray first and then as you build relationships that are just in your neighborhood or places that are conveniently uh, operated, um, begin to pray that God would open up a conversation, you know, where, where you're a little bit more intentional beyond just generally speaking, and and then uh, dare to, you know, just build that relationship and have that question. I think it's real easy to say something like, man, I, you know, I'm new to Utah, or I don't know a lot of the, about the LDS faith, or I know some things about the LDS faith, but I, it feels like there's a, a, a different focus these days, or just use the chosen, or use contemporary Christian music, and you can go have lunch, or you can uh, have, you know, a, a, you used to couldn't have coffee with an LDS person, right? But, you know, coffee, Starbucks, beans and brew, that's pretty normal today, even for Latter-day Saint people who don't drink coffee. Right, they're just going to hang out there, yeah. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. my my wife said to this friend that she just met at the Chosen scene, hey, do you want to meet for coffee? And she just said it naturally, and she goes, oh, I'm sorry, I mean, uh, do you want to just meet someplace, you know? And she goes, no, I'm fine meeting for coffee, you know? And she said, I'll just get, like, a steamer or something like that. So, you know, uh, you can even go to Starbucks and have a conversation later or something. Yeah, Um, yeah. But I I think it's it's just, it's not rocket science, It's, it's prayer, it's friendship, it's relationship, and then it's intentionality to ask a question that... Uh, and I think, you know, obviously, to the degree that you know LDS doctrine, you can interact with them at that level or ask questions or, you know... And I think, Ross, you're absolutely right. Bob Millett always says, I hate it when somebody tells me, you don't believe that. If I say something and they go, you don't believe that, that's not what Mormonism teaches. Uh, he'll say, I'm the world's expert on what Robert Millet believes. I know what Robert <laughs> Millet believes. I am Robert Millet, you know. So I think that's a pretty fair statement, you know, that we all think that we know ourselves better than a stranger. Uh, so when somebody says, I believe this, you go, no, you don't. That's kind of a crazy response, right, you know. Right. Uh, so I think that we need to say things like, that's interesting. I mean, I had a friend, I, I mentioned, you know, that I'm a born-again Mormon, and that's fascinating. That's nothing I would have called myself as a young Latter-day Saint living in Colorado and California. I would, I, I heard that phrase and we thought it was weird, you know? Right. But now our LDS friends are 
getting comfortable with it. So grace is another great topic because I, I think a lot of LDS writers are writing about grace. Emily um, Freeman wrote a an in- very interesting book a couple years ago on grace, and uh, she's a very popular speaker in the LDS world among women, uh, Time Out for Women and all her stuff. Get a hold of that book if you want, and just read it, and then have conversations with your LDS friends. I mean, you don't have to get hardcore, scholarly, investigated, uh, but there's there's plenty of just generic conversations we can have. Who do you think Jesus is? Uh, how do you understand God? What does it mean for you to be saved? I mean, you, I, I want to trust and believe that most, generally speaking, everyday, typical evangelicals could answer that question. You know, what who do I think Jesus is? I think mm-hmm. he's the Savior of the world. He's the Lord of my life. He's the Son of God, and he is God. He's God, one with the Father and one with the Spirit. You know, and, and you, I think we would want to believe that a typical Christian would have that basic knowledge, or, hey, how do you believe you, you have a relationship with God? Well, I believe it's through grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So we have to assume that our, our own body knows a little bit about what they believe about Jesus, about mm-hmm. God, about salvation, so that they can have a conversation with somebody else and at least tell their own story. Well, you know, when I was 21 years old, I was drinking a lot in college, and my life was going nowhere, and a friend of mine invited me to a weekend at, at a retreat, and I went, and I heard about Jesus, and it changed my life. That's your story. It's just as good as anybody else's story, and the, the way that you were and the way that you met Jesus and the way that he has changed your life is your testimony, mm-hmm. and our earliest yeah. friends love testimonies. Mm-hmm. That's a big yeah. part of their culture. Yeah. So they won't they won't like disregard your testimony and any more than they like it when people disregard their testimonies, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. great. Well, thank you so very much. It's very insightful. I appreciate your comments on the chosen, on contemporary Christian music, and some of these other factors that are just presenting lots of opportunities for people to get engaged in a relationship that can lead to the gospel spoken in truth and love. So I, I really appreciate your insight there. Again. This is the Culture Wise podcast where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace.